Will you guys open up Acts chapter 1, verse 12? It's so good to uh, be with you this morning. Really, really glad that you guys are here. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. I'm just going to read this. They returned from Jerusalem. Jesus had told them to return to Jerusalem. And uh, they're doing that here from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about three quarters of a mile away, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. I'm going to read that again. They went up to the upper room where they were staying, and all of them, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together. Acts chapter 2, next chapter over, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Chapter 4, verse 23 when they were released from imprisonment, that's Peter and John, they went to their friends, that's the church, and they lifted their voice together to God in prayer. A few verses later, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaking, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God boldly with great power. They were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. A few chapters later, chapter 10, verse 2, Cornelius uh, was kind of a uh, just regular, devout man who feared God with all his household, and he prayed continually to God. A few verses later, the next day, Peter went up onto the housetop to pray. I like that. He's just like up on his roof, just hanging out, overlooking the city, taking in the view, and he's just pouring his heart out to God. I like that one. A few verses later, he gets arrested, and while Peter was in prison, chapter 12, verse 5, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Many were gathered together at the house of Mary praying for him. In chapter 13, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. A few verses later, it says, they rejoiced and glorified the Lord, and the word of God was spreading, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Notice that for the early church, prayer was a center point of their life with God and their life with each other. I just mentioned not even all of the examples from uh, the first 13 chapters. There's many more there. Uh, in it, Prayer is uh, referenced in over two-thirds of the book of Acts. It's uh, referenced over 30 times in just 28 chapters. And here, the very first act that we see these apprentices or these followers or disciples of Jesus, just after he's left them, after we, we, we saw that last week, Jesus ascends back to heaven. He promises to return and he promises to give them power through the Holy Spirit in the interim. And he says, go wait back in Jerusalem. And now we have this scene in Acts chapter 1, 12, verses 12 and following. <laughs> and they're not waiting and doing nothing. They're waiting, and they're praying. 
in anticipation as they wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, prayer for the early church was a center point of their life with God and their life together. It was woven into the fabric of their community. It was woven into the ebb and flow of their daily existence, into their morning routine, into their weekly schedule, into their rhythms as they gathered together. They made space for this as individuals, even when they were incredibly busy, just like a lot of us. They had jobs. They were dealing with Maybe not like a lot of us, imprisonments and uprisings and whatever the heck the, the book of Acts would throw their way. And they made space for it. They would recognize and take cue from the way of their master, Jesus. And whether it was the apostles or the really passionate leaders or, as we often see, just the normative apprentice of Jesus... What we get the picture of in these early pages and throughout the book of Acts is that these were individuals, this was a people who were characterized by prayer. And if I'm reading this story correctly, prayer to them did not really seem to be a drag. For, for, for the disciples taking their cue from Jesus, it seems like they genuinely enjoyed the Father's company. Like they actually enjoyed spending time with him. And not only did they enjoy it, but they actually recognized their immense need for it. And so again and again and again, we're going to see this constant refrain throughout the book of Acts that they would come in together as a people. They would encounter God through prayer. They would be changed and transformed by him as they came together. I mean, literally like buildings would be shaking as they gathered together on their faces in prayer. They were being transformed as they encountered God and then they would, it would propel them right back out to then share the reality of God with the people around them. This is the ebb and flow, the inhale, exhale. The, 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 the in and out lifestyle, if you will, of this early church community, this little band of followers in the way of Jesus. Now, the reality is that for most of us, if we take a moment, we can maybe see that as really admirable and maybe long for that to be the case. But my guess is that for many of us in this room, at least if you're anything like me, that feels like a far cry of a description of our experience with prayer. Am I right? Like how many of you are kind of coming in here this morning and, and, and you just feel like you're absolutely crushing it right now at prayer? Like you have a little room set aside in your house. You built it in. It was in the plans because you wanted it to be there. And it's like you don't even need an alarm clock. You just get up in the morning and it's like I go to town with Jesus. For most of us, my guess is uh, if you're anything like me, prayer feels like a bit of a drag. It feels like a little bit uh, of a bore if we're honest about it. In fact, when I see a description like this and I hear that word prayer, for me, it's not something that I feel like I want to do when I hear that. It feels like more like something I ought to do, almost like a, a religious obligation or it's like a to-do list of something that I have to do to check off to be kind of a good Christian, if you will. And it's associated with all of these feelings and looming feelings of like guilt and shame. Anyone resonate with that this morning? Despite the fact that prayer was a center point in the early church, 
for many of us, it feels like a really, really weak point in our apprenticeship to Jesus. We are busy, 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 constantly on the go with an endless swath of just other entertaining options that feel so much more captivating to our imaginations and our affections than prayer. I mean, you have uh, 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 your favorite documentaries out there, a swath of options on Netflix and Hulu. You have the constant bombardment of catching up on the latest Instagram stories, particularly in a city like Denver where we have the slopes and we've got good music scene where you can go and watch incredible shit. Like, it just feels practically impossible for us to find space for prayer in our particular cultural moment and in our particular context in the city of Denver. And you know, as I thought about it, I, I don't even know that it's primarily a matter of finding time so much as it is a matter of finding prayer appealing, exciting, or enjoyable. So those are some of the glaring obstacles that I've been wrestling with throughout this week as I've been in this passage um, and, and really over the past years um, in my journey with Jesus. Some of the glaring obstacles we have right out the gate with this thing and some of the burden that I feel as I come in here today, not only for myself, but also for, for all of us collectively here together. And so uh, here's, here's my desire for this morning. Um, I don't want to uh, necessarily unpack, which I know bristles some of you the wrong way, every single thing that's in this text, um, but uh, I, don't, I also don't want to unpack everything there is to know about prayer. That's impossible to do in 20 minutes this morning, uh, but what I do want to do is I just want to, even in line with this text and even in line with what we see in the early church community of Jesus, I just want to kind of paint a picture for us uh, about the appealing reality and hopefully raise our appetites in the arena and the practice of prayer. I want to deal with some of the basics of prayer, and then I want to move into some of the practicals regarding the practice of prayer. Does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, awesome. Okay, two of you. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know you're excited, even if you didn't express it. <laughs> All right, let's look at some of the basics of prayer. We saw in verse 12, uh, they went up to the upper room, and then in verse 14, that with one accord, they were together devoting themselves to prayer. I've mentioned that about 50 times already this morning, but, but what do we mean when I say that word? What comes to um, your mind's imagination when you hear the word prayer? Is it kind of like a, 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 a ritual reciting of the Lord's Prayer that uh, two teams in a stuffy locker room before they go into a sporting event are, are, are reciting together? Which I don't even want to get into the existential issues of like what it means that there are two teams, likely uh, uh, most of them not even walking closely with God, who are praying for a W at the same time. Existential crisis. Don't really know what to do with that. Uh, or, or maybe for you, what comes to your mind is like uh, you're, you're uh, about to eat with your super religious grandmother or, or, or mom or whatever it is, and, and you pray before a meal. Like these are the types of pictures that come to mind for us when we think about prayer. We all have some idea of it. What is that for you? To be sure, I'm sure that some of that can be prayer. Don't get me wrong, but it is so much more than that. Put simply, here's how I would define it. Prayer is cultivating relationship with God. 
at its most basic level. Prayer is talking with God. And notice, I didn't say talking to God, but with God. Because prayer is about relationship. It's about friendship and living life with God. Paul Miller wrote a book that we have highly recommended here at the summit over the years. It's called A Praying Life, and he says this. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. In other words, uh, prayer is not the end of this thing. Relationship with God is the end, and prayer is one of God's premier means of reaching that end, of cultivating life with God. I'll give you an example uh, regarding this idea that prayer is about relationship. My wife, Rachel, and I, we went out on a date earlier this week. Shout out, uh, multiple people have watched our kids this week, which we really appreciate, but Kristen Huang, in particular, our city group mate, she watched all three of our kids by herself. She's a hero. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, and, and, and my wife and I, we wanted to go to a restaurant just a couple blocks from here. It's called Hop Alley. It's a, it's a super modern Asian restaurant, and I hear that the bone marrow fried rice is just incredible. That the bone marrow fried rice there is literally something to weep about. And um, we ended up going to Chick-fil-A because we couldn't get reservations in time. And I know you guys are laughing and collectively groaning together like, Chick-fil-A? Come on, Chick-fil-A is not a terrible option. Anyway, we sat down uh, and we sat in those cheesy booths with terrible instrumental music, which I do not want to get into that. And uh, we looked across at each other, and I looked my wife in her eyes, and we had a conversation. And the point of the conversation was not for us to just talk at each other or just talking. The point of the conversation was for us to connect. It was for us to cultivate our friendship together, to be with one another outside of the chaos of our of our home. So it is with prayer. The end goal is relationship. Another pastor over on the, on the left coast in Portland, Oregon, John Mark Comer, who's been really formative for me, um, kind of just in my journey with Jesus lately, uh, he says this about prayer. He says, it's a back and forth conversation that comes out of a depth of relationship. At an even more basic level, prayer is a junk drawer word for all of our relationship to the Father. In other words, prayer kind of becomes this all-encompassing term that kind of describes this disposition of our life of doing it in connection with God. So prayer is a junk drawer word for relationship to the Father. And he goes on. He says, that's why prayer was such a huge part of Jesus' life. We read, he often withdrew into lonely places and prayed. I think that happens over 25 times in the gospel narratives. And for Jesus, prayer definitely was not a drag. Because more than anything else, prayer is about being in, hear this, active relationship with and enjoying the company of a person. If one can understand this, he or she will quickly recognize how being in active relationship with anyone includes the practice of all kinds of habits of communication by which that relationship is experienced and grown, deepened, and challenged. So in other words, sometimes that means you are talking and having a dialogue with God. Other times, and this is great for you introverts, like sometimes that means you don't have to say a word. Have you felt that or experienced that with a friend where you can just have easy silence together on a road trip? That, that communicates depth in relationship. So it is with God. There are many habits of communication with him. In short, 
Comer continues. He says, prayer is not as much about saying prayers or learning new techniques of prayers as it is about doing whatever is necessary to deepen our friendship with God and seeking to set aside time regularly to do that. I really, really like that. I found that really helpful for me as I've thought about what it looks like to practice the ways of Jesus and to spend time being with Jesus. That vision for prayer to me is much more compelling and appealing than the stuffy religious kind of rigidity that I often associate in boredom really that, that, that comes with prayer. You know what I'm talking about? You guys tracking with me this morning? So I found that really helpful. Not only that, but also if you look back at the text with me, what I'd like to do for a moment as we just continue to look at the basics of prayers, I just want to see what it looked like as, as, the, as these early followers gathered together to devote themselves to prayer in the upper room. Look at this. Verse 12. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. And they, when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room, verse 13, where they were staying. In verse 14, all of these... Uh, that's the 11 apostles, not the 12, were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. And they were doing it together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And it says in verse 15 that there were about 120 people present. So, so the picture that we're getting, Luke, Luke in uh, chapter 24 actually describes this same scene. And the way that he describes it in the very final verses is, is, is he says um, that after Jesus left, they departed, they went to Jerusalem, and with great joy, they were worshiping, and they blessed God continually together in the temple. So the picture we have of this early church is that they were going back and forth between the temple and the upper room, and they were continually devoting themselves together with prayer. And it looked like singing and worshiping and blessing, and they were doing it with great joy, even though Jesus had just left them, and they were doing it in great anticipation of the Holy Spirit, and there's men, and there's women, and there's people of all kinds of different backgrounds, and they're just getting together to devote themselves to being with and cultivating friendship with Jesus. Now, look at a few of the specific things that have really struck me. Here's the thing. Peter gets up in the middle of this, again, in the context of a Time gathered together, devoted to prayer. Peter, uh, who is one of the apostles, becomes a leading voice in the early church. He stands up in the middle of this. Now, I don't have time to get into all the details this morning of everything that's happening here. They uh, go into gruesome detail about Judas' rejection of the ministry of apostleship and how he rejected that and how he then needs to be replaced and they have criteria for that and then they eventually choose Matthias. I'm not going into all of that. There is a lot of significant things that are happening there. It's not because it's insignificant. It's just because I don't have time for that with what God has been placing on my heart to teach us this morning. But what I am struck by is look at what this prayer meeting looks like. They devote themselves to prayer. Peter gets up in the middle of it, and he begins to say, guys, we have a task. We have something that we need to do. And then what does he do next? Verse 16. Brothers, the scripture needs to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand. He quotes scripture. 
So in the middle of this time where they're devoting themselves to prayer, he's bringing scripture to the mix. He's quoting scripture. He's not just basing it on his own opinion. He's quoting scripture and he's bringing that to bear in the midst of their gathering. And then they're sharing some of their story about what it was like as they they were walking in the ministry of Jesus. And they're sharing their stories and they're bringing it into, seeking to bring it into alignment with the story of God. And they're seeking to bring it into the light of the word of God. And then it continues down and they have different types of prayer. It's like a, a verse 24. They have this prayer where they're petitioning to God and they say, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you've chosen to take a place in this ministry and apostleship, which Judas rejected. Verse 26, and then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Anybody, uh, the one thing I do want to mention is this casting lots thing. <laughs> because it's kind of weird, right? Anyone ever casted lots in here? Uh, oh, three people. That is four people. That's incredible. I love that. So uh, casting lots is kind of like the modern day rolling of the dice, if you will. But it's a little bit different. It's actually a really common practice in the Old Testament. You see it all the time happening. And it was essentially kind of this thing that they would do uh, in the Old Testament when they were seeking to make a decision impartially. Uh, Proverbs 16 gives the framework for what this would look like, where it says uh, someone will uh, cast the lots, but it's actually the Lord who chooses where they fall. In other words, the Old Testament people would do this, and it could be done either good or bad, and they were doing it to make an impartial decision to kind of discern which direction God wanted them to go. It's neither good nor bad. Here, I get no negative connotations in the text towards them casting lots. I think it's a very normal thing that they would have known to do as, the, as people rooted in the Jewish scriptures. So they cast lots. Here's one thing I do want to say. You never see the casting of lots ever again in all of scripture. Ever again. You never see it. Really common practice in the Old Testament. You never see it again in the New Testament after this. Why? My hunch is, we can have conversations about this, but look at the very next verse. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Then the day of Pentecost arrived. In other words, the Holy Spirit shows up onto the scene, and this dynamic engagement that we see the early followers having with Jesus, even in prayer before the Spirit comes, gets completely shifted and gets put on steroids, if you will, as the Spirit comes and just does his thing in allowing us to engage in active, live, like dynamic relationship with God through prayer. That's all I want to say about that. My point with all of this is to give us a bird's eye view. What does this thing look like as the apostles and the disciples and these early followers of Jesus were seeking to follow in his footsteps? And what we see is that what they're doing is cultivating depth in friendship and communion with God. We've seen that it's characterized these early followers. For them, it was a dynamic encounter with God himself where they would be changed and it would propel them to go and see other people's lives changed in the name of Jesus. And now if that's the case, what I want to do for our closing few minutes is I just want to tease out for the next few minutes just a few implications on if that's what prayer is about, if that's what we see characterizing these people's lives and we want to, as much as we can, come into alignment in our day and age, then what are a few practical implications for us when it comes to the practice of prayer? First, and we don't um, see this explicitly in this scene, but throughout the library of Scripture, prayer is 
referenced over 650 times. It's a lot. And of those 650 times within that, although prayer can and I think should be done in any number of physical postures, the scriptures actually outline and model for us a number of different physical postures. I just think this can be really helpful as we think about what does it look like for us to practice prayer together as a community as well as individually in our lives uh, with the Lord. And so uh, you have multiple different specific postures when folks are praying. Postures like sitting, standing, kneeling, with one's face to the ground, people who are praying with their hands lifted up, others who are praying as they're singing and dancing. And this is modeled for us throughout uh, the library of Scripture. And in fact, not just modeled for us, but oftentimes actually mandated to us uh, in Scripture. It's like commands, like that passage, 1 Timothy 2.8, that's referenced there with hands lifted up. That's Paul giving instruction to the church saying, I want people as they gather together to pray, lifting their hands to the Lord. Or I think about Psalm 95 that says, kneel before the Lord your maker. Or Psalm 149 and 150 that talk about dancing and singing with joy. And that's the prayer book of God's people. Uh, Oftentimes, it's not just modeled for us, but it is actually mandated to us. These different postures as we engage with God. And what I I just want to say, one last thing on that, I I recognize that for some of us, we can um, come into the space, and some of us feel more comfortable with some of these postures, others of us feel very uncomfortable at some of these postures, like uh, particularly maybe like dancing or or, or lifting your hands or whatever it is, and and we certainly don't want to be a community where we coerce anyone into any number of these postures, but simply to show like in the library of scripture, we see this happening. And so for those of you who are maybe on the more expressive side, like you're really comfortable with dancing and it's really natural for you to lift your hands and that's something that doesn't throw you off at all, I would just, my encouragement to you would be see the, 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 the different postures that maybe you haven't incorporated into your engagement in your prayer life. The, postures that are more maybe reverent or reserved like kneeling and, and, and sitting still and quiet with the Lord. On the other hand, for those of you who are on the spectrum where where you feel a little bit more comfortable with the reserved physical postures, like your go-to is sitting still. That's a really good thing. You see that throughout Scripture. But my encouragement would be the same as the other end. See the full gamut of physical postures that we have as we engage with the Lord, particularly in prayer and in worship. And for us, my desire is to see us be a community that reflects increasingly what we see reflected and commanded of us throughout the library of Scripture. That's my desire. So I bring that up first um, because we see that. Not only do we see different physical uh, postures, but we also see uh, different types or categories of prayer throughout Scripture. Now, I find this to be really, really helpful because for most of us, if you're anything like me, I kind of think about prayer and it's like, it's just me kind of talking to God. Like I have my laundry list of things or I have my Christmas wish list that I need to come and and give to the big man upstairs. Like if that's all prayer is, that is really boring because it's just you talking. It's just you talking to or talking at God. But look at the different types of prayer that we see throughout throughout the the, the corpus of Scripture. It says there's, there's, there's categories like corporate prayers of agreement, like they were together in one accord, prayers of request or petition. Prayers of thanksgiving and worship. Prayers of commissioning. 
uh, which we've been seeing throughout our gatherings today where we commission new family members and missionaries to the city of Denver and beyond. Um, there, there are prayers of confession, namely like I, I think about Psalm 32 and 51 where we come into agreement with what God says about our waywardness in our sin or prayers, contending prayers of intercession which is like just this big, fancy, biblical term for agreeing with God uh, wants to or will do. It's us looking out, seeing things are uh, not how they should be, and us contending with God in prayer to say, let's see this come more into alignment with your heart and your desires, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's contending, intercessory prayer. And then there's listening prayer, which isn't talking at all. (laughs) It's just us in a quiet space, taking a moment of silence where we listen to the voice of the Spirit and the authoritative voice of Scripture. And then finally, there's praying in the Spirit, which is agreeing with who God is and seeking to be attuned to what His Spirit is wanting to do in any given moment. Now, I bring all this up because we see a number of different dynamic engagement with God in relationship when it comes to prayer. It's not sterile. It's alive. It's active. Even if you can imagine with me for a moment, I can, like, this was 10 days that they were in the upper room and going back and forth between the upper room and the temple. It was 10 days between Jesus ascending and then when he sends the Holy Spirit. So they're not just up there the whole time. And you can imagine that there were points. Like, can you imagine? For many of us, it's like, can you imagine if, if, if these 120 disciples were just there and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, it's a prayer meeting. The feelings of dread. Who's going to volunteer to pray first? Is it going to be him, her? I just don't know. Shoot, are we going like counterclockwise or clockwise? I just, I can't remember. Can I pray for like 30 seconds or did they say like a minute? I just, I can't remember exactly what. And there's all of these weird stipulations and, and, and just boundaries that we put up when it comes to engaging together with God in prayer. Y'all, I, I, I look at this text and what I see and what I see throughout the rest of the book of Acts is that they came together devoting themselves to prayer where they recognized we are coming together to encounter a God who had just risen from the grave and is continuing to work through the power of the Holy Spirit in our community. And every time that we come inhaling together in prayer, it is an opportunity to engage and encounter with God himself. And then you see it propelling them outwards to share the reality of God with the people around them. It transformed them and changed them. And then they were seeing miracles and signs and wonders happening in their midst. And thousands of people coming to give their lives to follow and pursue Jesus. And you see these dynamic realities happening throughout the ebb and flow, the inhale, exhale of the early church community. It was not sterile. It was this beautiful, appealing, like, man, you want to come and encounter God? Let's pray together. Let's engage and go in and press into that together. Not just in their time, Lord, not just in their time, but in our time. Because you are still alive, you are still active, you are still doing something fresh in your people. That's what I see happening here. And they would like feed off of each other. 
I can only just imagine that there are other people who would stand up in the middle of that and all of a sudden they're like, they're reading uh, another passage. Like this passage has been stirring my heart as we've been together. So there's someone over here and they're just reading that passage of scripture and then someone here in the middle was like, man, that stirs something in me and they get up and they start praying and then someone over here, far be it from them, like they've already prayed and yet they're like, that stirs something in me. I wanna pray again and there's none of these like weird rules and stipulations. They're just feeding off of each other. It is alive. It is not sterile, stuffy, rigidity, boring engagement. And I just want to end our time by saying, like, thank you to God. Thank you to you guys that, like, that's what we're wanting to pursue when we come together here as the summit week in, week out, and then scattering from this place in our homes together. Like, that's what we pursue. We're not coming here for you to just sit back in your chair and kind of listen to a TED-like talk with a guy who's a little bit funny and a little bit challenging. (laughs) I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) like our music, that's not to just kind of mimic your favorite band that you saw at the Fillmore last week. Like, we are coming to be a people who are characterized by the same thing that characterized uh, our early church brothers and sisters in following the ways of Jesus. And so what we want to do, like, what we want to do when we gather together in these times, and what I just want to give thanks for is, like, that's what we're, that's what we're pursuing. So even as the team comes up, as we kind of close our time together, and as we, uh, in, in, in the, the declaration of the scriptures, and move into a time of response, and we do this every week, what I want to do is just give us some space to actually practice some of these things together. In our vision for this, as our leaders and our elders and everyone getting together and just as we're praying and we're thinking about, man, what would it, like, we're doing these things. But even more, we just want to continue to pray, like, what, what would this look like if we all came in here with a posture of, like, even, even if this is, like, your first time or you're not even fully plugged in yet, I get that that can feel really intimidating But we want you to know what we're about here at this church. We're devoted to deepening our friendship and our relationship with God through prayer. And so we want to give space for that. My vision is that, like, there would be pockets of the room here in in these times of response where, like, people over here are just, like, singing their hearts out to Jesus as they're led by the lyrics on the screen. And then someone over here in a moment attuned to the voice of the Spirit just begins to like, I'm singing a different song because that's what the Spirit is giving me in this moment. That's why you see us doing that up here sometimes. We're trying to model and show you what that can look like to engage in a dynamic way, not like zombies singing off the screen. That, that, there, would be, that there would be like uh, uh, other pockets here in this particular space. I'm not, I'm not actually saying there. I'm just giving hypothetical. That then there would be like a space here where, where someone is like, man, I'm just going through so much right now. I can't even think about what this dude is saying. He's looking at me right now, and it's weird. But like that you share that with the person next, and you share your story, and they seek to bring your story into alignment with the story of God, and then they're laying hands and praying over you. And then someone over here maybe is just like, man, I feel deep conviction over my sin, or I'm just struck by this attribute of God, his character, his holiness, or whatever it is, and you're just sitting there in silent reflection, and it's not distracting that there are people singing at the top of their lungs right around you, and the person who's in silent contemplation here for whatever that may be, it's not distracting that there are people who are praying out loud 
over here in this corner. Like, it's dynamic. It's alive. That's our vision for these times where we respond. And so that's what we want to offer space to do right now. And then on top of that, we get to come to the table. It is Jesus Christ who lived that perfect life in our place in submission to the Father, led by the Spirit, all the way to the cross where his blood would be shed so that you could be forgiven, so that the gates to access to the presence of God might be opened to you. And because of Jesus, you can engage with that right now in this moment. So you take the bread which represents his body, which was given for you, put on the cross where his blood was shed. You dip that in the cup, which represents his blood, and we celebrate what Jesus has done together as a community, that we get to come to his table and sit with him and sup with him. How beautiful is that? So however it is that the Spirit of God is stirring us up this morning, we want to give space for that right now. So let's respond.